Well, good afternoon, everyone. My name is Gary Harvett. I'm from the Client Success Team at QuickMed Claims, and I'm joined by my colleague, Chuck Humphrey, who's the Senior Director of Compliance. Uh, we're glad to bring this short presentation to you today. Chuck's gonna do most of the heavy lifting for this program, but this is in a webinar format, and we encourage questions as we go through today's program. Uh, just a couple of things as far as housekeeping goes. Should you have any questions, you do have the ability to ask them. Just simply go to the bottom of your video screen. You'll see an icon that says Q&A. Submit your question there and we will uh, pose it and hopefully get you a good solid answer. Uh, this is a confusing matter. Sometimes I think that's by design, uh, but hopefully we'll be able to help sort this out for you to give all of you a better understanding. Uh, if you are submitting questions, please do not use the chat window as I will not be able to see that. Just make sure you submit in the Q&A uh, session. So uh, I think what we'll start off, Chuck, I think we'll just kind of start off with a little bit of a recap. So where we are, and for those of you who haven't seen Chuck in a while, Chuck's pushing, uh, what, 50 pounds now, Chuck? Have you, have you yes. Asked? Thank you, Gary. Yes. Yeah, you're half the man you used to be. So good for you. Congratulations. But uh, it's been a while since we've talked about the HHS funding. Uh, and it was nice when we woke up one April morning and found money in our checking account. But that's not the way it's going of late. There are some hoops. There are some stipulations uh, that all of you must pay, pay uh, strict attention to, uh, to one, uh, to see if you're eligible, and two, obviously, to access those funds. So without any further ado, Chuck, I'll turn this over to you and uh, we'll stop the screen share so they can get a better shot of our two beautiful faces. How's that? <laughs> All right, Gary. Well, thank you so much and thanks for everybody attending. It's uh, good to see you all here. Uh, Zoom had a bit of a hiccup this morning uh, all across the world, actually, and we were kind of sweating it out that we were going to be able to host this, but I'm glad it looks like they got their issues resolved. Uh, Gary, my theory is, is that all the school children logged on all at once today. So <laughs> I think that's that probably true, Chuck. I think a lot of the universities started today and of course the high schools and I think the Zoom people were were frantic for a while, but that's it looks like sure. we're squared away. Yeah. So look like Gary said, we want to just go backtrack a little bit here. So we're we're gonna talk about the Coronavirus Aid Relief and Economic Security Act, fondly known as the CARES Act. And it, uh, Gary, it seems like we've been dealing with this now a year, but it's only been a few months. But it, talk about a lifetime of events in a short amount of time, Absolutely. and this certainly has happened. And I, I just want to quickly, I always like to give credit where credit's due. So I'm going to use some information today that was uh, supplied by Chris Kelly and Dan Pedersen from Paige Wolfberg and Worth. They did a fabulous article back in April. So I want to give credit to those guys, uh, certainly because uh, some of the, when I get to some of the calculations, they simplified it so nicely. So I did borrow some of that. So we'll give them. And also, I'm going to talk about some links today. So I wanted to let everybody know, uh, we do have a page of these links available. If you did not receive it, and I know many of our clients did, but if you um, if you lost it for some reason or didn't receive it, just throw us a quick email at covidhelp at quickmedclaims.com and either Gary or I will send that link page over to you at the uh, at the close of the session today. So um, I, I won't go through because some of the links are rather long. You have to, you know, grab a paper and then I talk too fast and I just don't want to confuse you all so we can send them out to you if needed. So uh, the CARES Act was $50 billion set aside 
for healthcare providers and suppliers. It was actually part of a $175 billion um, stimulus fund that was passed by Congress back in um, uh, late March, early April, and um, 50 billion was set aside. So the first 30 billion came as a surprise. We, our phone started ringing one day, April 10th, uh, all of a sudden, boom, money started showing up in people's accounts. And at first, we thought it was um, on behalf of the um, early payments. They did an advanced payment through Medicare. And then uh, more calls started coming in, and we started finding out it was through HHS. And then the government released their statement later that day. So, oh, by the way, we dropped $30 billion in everybody's lap. Okay, well, thanks for telling us. But so that was based on your 2019 Medicare fee-for-service, not including Medicare Advantage. So I just want to make that point. It was only the fee-for-service. So what we commonly refer to as regular Medicare. And it was a calculation of a division of your dollars that you received in 2019 divided by $484 billion. And then they multiplied that ratio by 30 billion. So basically it was 6.198% of your 2019 Medicare dollars. If you wanna go back and figure the math, it was your 2019 Medicare fee-for-service dollars multiplied by 0 0.06198. And so it arrived and uh, uh, for some organizations, they had a bit of problem locating it. I know Gary, I spent um, several calls on the phone talking some folks through to where to take a look. Typically it showed up in your same account where you receive Medicare dollars, right. but we also found it in some cases went to a, an account that was set aside for FEMA grants or some other federal monies in the past. So it could have wound up in either place. If you still don't know that you received round one and I still found a few clients that had called us and uh, were questioning that as early as almost two weeks ago, um, take a look there. And the other issue is we found that some of the money wound up aggregated together with other healthcare billing. So uh, I found a city or two that we uh, do work on behalf of that had a municipal health center and bill Medicare for those services. So when the money came, it came as a product of the ambulance dollars and the municipal health center or whatever other entity possibly was using the same tax ID and to bill to Medicare. So uh, it could be that it was combined and that caused some places a little bit of uh, accounting nightmare because they had to try to separate that out. But we were able to help them sort through that. So, um, and again, uh, it, it, it wound up in one of those two cases and kind of took everybody's surprise. So after that came round two, and that's what we're gonna talk about today. Now, um, there were originally two deadlines, and once the money was received on round one, you had to log on to a website and attest that you were gonna receive it, or you had the option to return the money. Now, we did have a scant few clients that did return those dollars, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But for those of you uh, that did go on in the test, you may have recalled that you had to go through uh, a bit of a reporting, and I'll, I'll go over that in just a minute. Uh, but um, if you didn't attest, ultimately by June 3rd, 
then the feds considered that you had accepted those dollars. It was automatic, but without the attestation in hand, you could not um, apply for round two. So you were basically locked out and that precluded you. Uh, in the past few weeks, actually the end of July, um, the government issued a new set of rules because they heard from all of you that some of you had been excluded. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So there is now a new opening window through this Friday. So um, as of August 28th, that is your last day that you can apply if you deem that you are still eligible for this second round of funding. So it opened back up and it was to include those individual organizations or providers uh, who could not apply back prior to June 3rd. And also for those that may have missed that June 3rd deadline, you kept the money, missed it and didn't have the attestation, okay? So Health and Human Services heard from the provider community that there were delays in obtaining some of the correct financial information that you needed to apply for the second round. And a lot of that was because everybody was working from home, didn't have access. The pandemic just kind of slowed everything down, brought everything to a halt. So they said, yeah, that makes sense. So they opened it back up and here are now the individuals. So if you're out there and you fit into these categories, you're eligible potentially for the second round dollars. If you simply miss the June 3rd deadline to attest, or if you are a Medicaid and CHIP, meaning the Children's Health Insurance Program, only biller and you don't bill Medicare. Now, I don't think that probably applies to anybody on this call today. And the example was a dentist. That was the best example because a dentist is a healthcare provider, but doesn't typically bill Medicare. So I think that that doesn't apply here. The next um, eligibility category would be if you had a change of ownership. So if you were a provider or supplier organization, an ambulance service, in our case, or any other provider that the group or the company or the corporation was owned in 2019 by other ownership and then change ownership. So what happened was the 2019 calculation in some cases went to either an older account or it went to the other owners and then obviously had to be returned because it didn't apply to coronavirus coverage for this year. So if that were the case, then um, you had to go back and return that money. And then the new owners weren't eligible for stimulus funds, which wasn't necessarily fair due to the fact that by no fault of their own, ownership changed in the meantime, okay? So due to that issue, um, new ownership now can apply for those funds, even if, you did not have 2019 fee-for-service dollars given back to you during that stimulus tranche. So um, that is another issue. Um, if you had a low Medicare fee-for-service payer mix, 
it may have caused your organization to receive less than 2% of the total patient revenue. If that's the case, and I'll define total patient revenue in a minute, so stay in mind, okay? But if it turns out that your first tranche or your first round of stimulus money did not bring you up to at least 2% of your total billings, and we'll, again, I'll define how we compute that, then you may be eligible for additional monies. Aggregate, though, up to that 2% mark. And then finally, um, if you were an organization that returned round one, and we did have a few clients that did that, said they didn't want it. So they went through the process of returning the money. And that would have been because uh, probably COVID wasn't very, um, uh, there wasn't a massive outbreak in your area. You didn't really think you needed the money. You were being fair and not taking money that you knew you probably wouldn't use. But now, since then, there's been a higher outbreak. There's been um, more to it. And now you think you need the money. Now this is open to you. Okay, so those are the uh, five different categories that make you potentially available. And Gary, I'm not seeing... Uh, we're not having any issues with broadcast here, are we? That's my um, knowledge. No, okay. All good. right. My uh, my phone was ringing and I uh, just wanted to make sure that there wasn't anything going on there. Thanks. So far, so good. All right. So the round two, second round tranche is a total of $20 billion. And that is available, as we said, with an application so that organizations that potentially were light on Medicare or any one of the um, situations that I mentioned here just previously did not receive up to that 2% are potentially eligible. Okay, so that calculation, and are you ready for this? Hold your seats. Is a total patient revenue for your last reporting period. And we'll talk about reporting, but for purposes of this discussion right now, we'll talk about tax reporting. Okay, if you're a municipal, hang on, I've got an answer for that. But for tax reporting, it would have been your last reported total patient revenue divided by $2.5 trillion, then multiplied by $50 billion, and that's how you would arrive at that. Why they just didn't say 2% of your total bill, I don't know. But they went through that calculation first, and all of us were trying to make our calculators take those big numbers and then what they really meant was 2% of your total billing revenue. So um, what you would compute is if you received round one, you would take that number of your total billing revenue, subtract round one. If the quotient at the end of that calculation is positive, then that's the amount that potentially you would be eligible for in round two. If that amount is negative, don't even bother applying because you're not going to get any more money. You're only going to get up to 2% of your reported total revenue. Now, that 2% calculation of total revenue is an aggregate of all of your billing revenue from that report. And I'm going to skip over here uh, just to that uh, particular area and explain to you how you represent that total billing revenue. So it is um, one of these few different reports that you will 
actually upload to the online application and draw your revenue from. So if you file an IRS 1040 form, that would be if you're filing, your service is filed as an individual ownership or a single member LLC ownership, then that would be the figure that you take from your gross receipts in box one of that form. So you'll be reporting that on the online tool and then you'll be uploading that report to verify that. If you are a nonprofit, a tax exempt entity and you file the IRS 994, then you will be using program service revenue from line number nine. Line number nine on the IRS 990 form for a tax exempt entity. If you are a corporation and file the form 1120, then you will use the gross sales figure from box 1A. So again, that's form 1120 for a corporation, gross sales from box 1A. Now, if you're none of the above and you're a municipal entity or an entity that for some reason doesn't file a tax form, Okay, you should calculate your actual patient revenue based on your most recently filed audited financial statement. Now, I will caution you when uploading, we had a number of municipal clients that ran into a problem when they did the application um, that their audited financials were too large. You'll want to break out just the section that deals with the verification of the dollars that you have filed and upload that. And that did allow them to submit the application and potentially be approved. And I didn't hear from anybody that did that, that they were not approved based on that parameter. There is a uh, FAQ out on the HHS website that you can refer to for various different reporting types. But those are the four basic that you would file. So... The application process is actually a six-step process to apply for round two. First of all, you need to determine that you're eligible. Run the calculations. If the numbers go negative, you're not eligible. Or if you fit any, any one of those categories that didn't allow you to apply the first time around. Or if you didn't get any round one money period and you fit into those categories. Secondly, you have to validate your tax ID number or your employer identification number, TIN, EIN, whatever we refer that to. Now, that will take you 10 to 14 business days, but don't panic. As long as you start the application process by Friday, just because they don't get the validation back to you doesn't mean you're not going to be eligible. So you need to act between now and Friday, close a business on Friday but you may have to wait 10 to 14 days to get that validation back before you can go on in the process. Then you can go back into the application online, submit the financial records that they're asking for, and then after they have reviewed your application, if you are eligible, you will receive payment up to 2% of that total reported revenue from your patient care dollars that you have submitted on that last reporting. Um, 
you must attest to that payment then within 90 days. That's step six of the overall process. So once you get the money, you decided you're going to keep it. Obviously, you wouldn't apply if you're not going to keep it. So don't apply if you think you're, you're not going to make use of it. And then you can attest to that payment within that 90-day window. Now, we've often been asked, Gary, about how what can we use this money for? Okay. So Great, now we... Yeah, we've covered the history and we've covered the application, how you're going to go around. And we really wanted to roll this webinar out for Q&A too, because we, we, we didn't want anybody to miss out on this chance. And while some of you may have logged in today and you, you know, you may have already done the application or, you know, we had to put a blanket out there because we know that potentially there are clients out there that didn't qualify the first round and we didn't want anybody to miss out on this. So, you know, if this is redundant for you, I apologize now, but we needed to roll out the fact that there is a possibility that some of you, even if you receive the money, you know, or you didn't even properly go through the second round application, you didn't know about it. I still had clients that didn't know um, as early as maybe two to three weeks ago about round one that called and went through our COVID helpline. Um, that they didn't even know to, to apply for two and the June 3rd deadline had already passed. So we really wanted to roll this out to all of you just on the possibility that there are some out you and I'm sure that there are that now will be able to, uh, to obtain this. So payment is to be used in their words to prevent, prepare for and respond to coronavirus and reimburse healthcare related expenses or lost revenue that is attributable to the coronavirus. Payment will not be used for expenses or losses that have been or will be reimbursed from other sources. So let me caution you. If you have received any other kind of stimulus or grant money, FEMA grant, state grants, any kind of local grants. I know there was some charitable organizations making grant money available, those kind of things to healthcare. It, let's say you got a FEMA grant to purchase PPE. Then you could not use stimulus money to purchase PPE. You can use it for something else, but you can't double dip. And, and I almost don't like that term, but that's the term that they used on the instructions. Uh, you can't use the same money for this that you use for this, the, that. So just be sure that you're segregating out these purchases for something you got no other money for. Now, when you're reporting eventually, now here's another thing. <laughs> On July 20th, they issued a statement, HHS come out with a public notice and let us know that anybody receiving an excess of $10,000 will need to report on a portal that is opening on October 1st. Now, when they first rolled out this guidance, back when this provider relief fund was first released, they told us it was gonna be a very large amount, um, well in excess of $100,000 would only have to report. Well, somehow that became $10,000. So that's gonna include a large number of you sitting out there today. When they released it, they told us they'd give us more guidance on August 17th. Well, today is August 24th, and Gary, we don't have that additional guidance yet. Surprise. And a small footnote this morning, as I searched the website again to look for this, and reached out to one of my brain trusts, 
the small footnote says that the HRSA, which is the um, arm of HHS that covers this whole release, did not have the chance to get their data elements together in order to put out their additional guidance. So we don't know yet what that's going to look like. Um, however, the portal's not going to be open till October 1st. So we're not in any hurry and hopefully we'll have the guidance by September 30th that at least we'll be able to review. And I say that tongue in cheek because that may just well be the case. So Health Resources Services Administration is working on that right now. More to come. But uh, when you are reporting, and to keep this in mind, because this will determine what you spend the money on, because you're going to report how you spend it. So be wise now in thinking about how I'm going to report how I spent the money, because it's got to be reported that you spend it on something within the parameters. And those parameters are spending it on supplies, equipment, workforce training. So if you had a training session about PPE or decon, whatever the case may be, if you can tie that back to the pandemic, it's allowed. Reporting COVID-19 test results to federal, state, or local governments. I don't think that's really going to apply in the ambulance case, unless you're working with, in, in tangent with um, an institution that is doing testing. Uh, I think that'd be probably the lesser possibility for us. Building or constructing temporary structures for COVID-19 patient care or of non-COVID-19 patients in a separate area. That probably doesn't apply to ambulance as well, but I'll leave it out there for what it's worth. Uh, the next one is acquiring additional resources, including facilities, supplies, or staffing to expand or preserve care delivery. That's a possibility. I actually had a client call and ask me about whether warehousing of PPE, or there was another one that called about uh, a mezzanine structure for storing PPE stockpiles. We talked about that, so those are some things. And then finally, you can use it for developing and staffing an emergency operations center. So that's kind of broad as well. Uh, so those are the things that you can use the dollars for. Now I see there's a question, Gary, yes. asking me to loop back um, on what you can use the grant money for. So I think that we covered that, um, but if there's a further question, I didn't answer that question uh, um, Pelly is uh, asking that question. Sure. Uh, please there, submit another. Jump in. So uh, if there are questions, by all means, feel free to ask them now. Uh, if not, you can surely uh, send us your question at client services at quick, or excuse me, COVID help at quickbedclaims.com. And also, uh, we're recording this. So should you want the link to this uh, uh, program afterwards, we're glad to provide that for you. So we're here to help you regardless. Yeah, thank you. So what we know today, though, Gary, about uh, the reporting process is this. Anybody out there who is receiving, and this really applies to anyone. So whether this is first round, second round, you know, you've already listened to what second round is and you say, oh, I don't know if I'm going to be, listen to this because this is important on the reporting part. And this is worth your time just to be here um, today. So anybody receiving the funding 
must report within 45 days of the end of the calendar year 2020 on their expenditures through the reporting period ending December 31st, 2020. So if you've already spent some money, but not all of it, you still must report. Now, if you haven't spent all the money and December 31st rolls around, you'll need to do two reports. You'll need to do one on the first round of spending, one on the second round of spending. Again, more detail to come, but these are the broad brushstrokes of what we know now. If you have expended all of the CARES funding you receive, now if you're eligible for more and you're applying, it's possible you won't spend it by the end of the year by the time you get it. Depends. But if you've already gotten round one and two, maybe, and you've spent everything that you've received and you know you've gotten all of the 2%, then you can file one report that will cover that full expenditure and that is a single final report and you'll have between October 1st to February 15th of next year to file that report. So you've got lots of time to get all that done. Hopefully you followed our suggestions from the beginning and you've been keeping track of all your expenditures. So this will be an easy process. Um, Chuck, we had a couple of questions yes. if you don't yep. mind. Go ahead. So uh, our good friend Randy out there in the West, uh, is asking, does not lost revenue qualify for CARES funds use? Well, that's a great question. And um, on the surface, it would not be something that would be covered under the stimulus package. Okay. So if you look at their uh, report of funds, it says that lost revenue attributed to COVID-19. So it has to be specific to the pandemic. And that's why I said on the surface, it may be a little confusing. Um, if you're, you know, what you have to be careful of is, can you tie back your loss in run volume and your loss in funds directly to COVID-19? If you're in an area like New York City area, where there's no doubt that there was a an effect from day one, or a metropolitan area, or somewhere where COVID, you know, was raging pretty hot and heavy up till now, then I think you can. But if you're in an area where you weren't affected by directly, and it took a while to get to you, and I'm thinking of some of the uh, more rural areas of our clients where we have clients, then I think you need to be careful that you're not tying that back to some kind of cyclical revenue dip or a drop in call volume that isn't tied directly to that. How are you going to uh, substantiate that? Well, good documentation. You know, if you can take year to date report, year to date report here, you know, and in December and January, your volume was pretty good and all of a sudden it fell off then I think you can make a case for that. But if in December or January you started losing runs because your territory changed or you're not crewing up, if you're a volley crew, something like that, now your revenue's off, I think you need to be careful to tying that to a lost revenue attribute. So just make sure you have a really good paper trail and reports to back up that you can tie it to a COVID loss of revenue as opposed to. So yes, you can cover lost revenue, but I just wanted to throw that out there 
that it's not as clear and cut dried as it may appear on the surface. Oh, we're down money. So now we can just take that money and use it. No, not so fast. I'd tie it back to specifically COVID-19 effect. And that would tie back to whether or not your area was specifically experiencing a rather high rate of, of, um, of, of infection. Chuck, another question from Tim. The amount you received is under 10,000. Then there is no reporting at all? Right now, there's no reporting. That can change. We don't know what that means. They only have labeled so far $10,000 in the mix. I find it hard to believe that if the government's going to give us money, they won't want us to account for it somewhere down the line. But that reporting process may look differently for a smaller organization than a larger one. Or it could be that in the end, some game, they just decide that the smaller amounts aren't, aren't worth reporting and they're not worried about. That's a possibility. I, we don't know that yet. Uh, it's a great question, Tim, and I wish I could answer it for you definitively. All I can tell you is what we know right now, and what we know right now is it's $10,000 and up. We've used the word fluid, Gary, till oh. it's coming out our ears. <laughs> and this is a fluid answer to the question. Um, I may get off this webinar, read a listserv email, and we're back to reporting for a dollar or more. Uh, we'll just have to wait and see how sure. that goes. Tim shares yeah. our skepticism, Chuck. <laughs> thank you, Tim, for the question. Yeah, thanks, Tim. We appreciate it. Um, so going back to um, recipients with funds unexpended after December 31st, then must submit a second final report and no later than July 31st. So you have a little bit longer if you have a second report to submit. But you, if you've spent any money right now, you have to do a partial report, then report the rest of it later. And then finally, that detailed instructions will be coming. We don't know when, but that should give us a better idea of what the reporting tool is going to look like. Um, typically, what they've been doing is they've, um, in a number of other instances where there's been an online report, I'll use the example of the, um, of the cost data collection. We got a real good mock-up of what that was gonna look like so everybody could be prepared on, um, uh, on how to respond. So uh, the other thing I think I failed to mention to while I'm on that, it just, it just popped in my head. Um, there is a video out there for you to walk through the application process. So um, if you go to the link out on the HRSA website, um, there is a video that you can view before you start the application process for this round that, um, that will help you out uh, so you can anticipate what you're gonna need uh, moving forward. Um, finally, I wanna close out my part of the discussion and we'll open for questions if there are any. Um, we um, talked to you uh, a while back about the uninsured patient payment program, which is meant to cover the cost of ambulance transport for COVID positive patients who are uninsured. When we first rolled out that um, discussion, it was vague as to whether, what patients it would include. We now know definitively, and we put out a uh, communication on this back at the end of June, but I wanna loop back, make sure all of our clients understand. Suspected COVID-19 patients minus a positive um, diagnosis, a tested positive diagnosis, does not qualify 
for that uninsured patient payment program dollars. So we will not submit claims on your behalf to that program if a patient is uninsured but does not test positive. That patient must test positive. We can only use the proper codes to bill to that program if they are, have a verifiable positive test. So wanna make sure that you guys do understand that. And we had asked for your input um, on how to bill the suspected patients. And if you have not provided us with that input yet, then please do uh, contact us, COVID help at quickmadeclaims.com or your billing director or account manager for the team that is um, that you're working with on a day-to-day -day basis to let us know if you even want to bill those suspected patients or you know, due to PR reasons or whatever, uh, you decide that you just don't want to impose that and we'll follow your lead on that. But I wanted to loop back, Gary. I know it's a little off topic, but while I have everyone's attention, it's a similar subject. We want to make sure that we, uh, that we covered that as well. Um, so I think I've covered everything, Gary, as far as what I had to, to share with the um, audience today. Uh, so, you know, once again, we'll look for anybody who has any questions and hopefully um, we've made it clear what they can do moving forward. Thank you, Chuck. Uh, if there are any questions, feel free to submit them now. We'll pose them. Uh, and if not, as Chuck mentioned a couple times through his uh, conversation, uh, feel free to submit them at quick, uh, covidhelp at quickmedclaims.com or you can give us a call at 412-532-2392 and we'll help you that way as well. Uh, I don't see any other questions popping up, Chuck, so thank you for your time today. Thanks to all of you who attended. It is a, continues to be a confusing and challenging time for all of us in many ways, reimbursement, operations, uh, crew status, the whole, the whole bit. And uh, my hats, once again, I've said this, I think on every webinar we've done on this, uh, emergency medical services, air and ground continues to amaze me on how we always keep our head above the water some way, shape or form. And, uh, we hope that in some small way, we continue to help you here at QMC. So with that- Gary, I see there's one more question. Oh, there's before one more coming in. Okay, yep. go ahead, Chuck. Uh, will this program be subject to a single audit? Um, Good question. I, anytime there, yeah, that's a great question, Randy. Thanks for asking. Um, anytime there's money that comes from the government, you can expect there will be some kind of auditing process. My guess will be, and, and again, we're just guessing, if they see something on that report they don't like or something doesn't add up, and I'm sure they have metrics and parameters for reviewing these reports, you're reporting for a reason. For one thing, so the government can pull metrics on how the money was used, and I think that'll be in a public report. But I think it's safe to say that if they see that you use something that they question whether or not it tied back to the COVID-19 um, pandemic or the possibility of prep for other uh, surges, I think it's a fair game that they will audit you if they feel that something hasn't been done properly. Um, I know already um, um, Mary Craig, our chief compliance officer, um, shared with us that there's already been federal action taken against a physician, not an ambulance, thank goodness, who um, submitted some um, false documentation in order to be eligible for uh, stimulus funds, and um, that's already being 
vetted out to, for prosecution uh, on fraud and abuse. So I think it's safe to say that they see something that looks like it's colored outside the lines. Uh, somebody be knocking on doors. And we don't believe that to be any of our clients because we know the integrity of our clients. And we certainly here at QuickMed Claims do everything we can to protect the integrity by uh, adhering strictly to compliance to the point where we spend literally hours, Gary, how about it, on the phone talking about terms, you know, the uninsured patient program. Was that suspected or was it positive? And, you know, how do we vet out these claims and how do we make sure they're uninsured? And just the number of different conversations that we've had over the past few months, I can't even begin to count the number of times. And, you know, that's the nights that we go home and we lay in bed and think about now, did we, you know, did we interpret that right? Is it okay? And then we consult you know, friends in the industry, Page Wolfberg and Worth are our compliance attorneys and seek opinions. And so just know and rest assured that we're doing everything we can to make sure that those audit guys don't show up on your doorstep. And we encourage you today, tomorrow, and the next day to please keep good records. Uh, who knows if and when the auditors will come out and if they do, and you're the person today, but in two years, three years, uh, you've moved on, retired, whatever it might be make sure those records are accessible. That's, that's key. You have to be able to substantiate what you did. So with that, I'll thank you once again. Uh, as I mentioned, we are recording this. So if you do want the, the link, we'll uh, have it available for you. Just drop us a note. We'd like to get you the link so you can play it again from the board or other members of your organization or your town council, whoever it might be. We'd be glad to give that to you. Thank you so much for joining us, Chuck. Many thank you. you. Very much. We wish all of you well. And hey, be, be safe, safe out, out there. there.